Welcome back to another Magnus Maherkis podcast on coaching. I'm Steve Magnus, the coach at the University of Houston and author of Peak Performance, joined by my buddy friend, John Marcus, coach of High Performance West. John, it's post-USAs and we're back at this stuff. We're here. I'm, I've been on it, man. We're trying to give the people what they want. It's summertime. Let's do it. That's right. Podcast every day. Do we get some of these in the bag, right? Oh, amen. Yes. Every day. <laughs> no, not going to happen. Sorry. No, no, no not. but we appreciate you guys listening. So this week we're going to talk about the uh, two-way street of coaching versus the one-way information flow. And what we mean by that is, well, I'll, I'll tee it up and then you can go ramble on, John, is that a lot of times what happens is the power dynamics for a coach is set up so that we are the information purveyors. We give away things and expect our audience to learn, right? And our athletes to learn, adapt, and grow from the information we provide. But rarely do we expect to learn from them, meaning that we see the athletes as the receivers and not the givers of information. And as we've talked about before, and as we'll get into a little bit more, is that that model constrains you as a coach. It prevents you from evolving with your athlete and kind of gets you stuck in a place that is and stuck in a rut that is hard to uh, get out of. It's a false positive in a lot of ways. At least that's how I take it. Um, you know, we, as coaches, we talk about certifications. Oh, I went to this conference, like you're listening to this podcast. I mean, other podcasts, yeah, you know, reading books, like all those things are ingredients to help make you better at what you're passionate about, which hopefully is helping other people reach their peak in, from a performance standpoint, but also, you know, a human being standpoint. But we forget the actual ingredient that you need the most of is that time with your athletes because they're going to teach you, if you're open to it, more than any course, book, podcast, unfortunately, <laughs> can, <laughs> despite, despite the, you know, the, the fables that we tell ourselves. And you have to be open and aware. I, you know, I always am curious when I see coaches put certain limitations on a workout or a session or an athlete being like, hey, here, there's a speed limit today. You can't go faster than this. And it's like, well, how well do you know everything? I mean, you might want to say, okay, physiologically, we're trying to get this manipulation of this energy system. But I was at the track today with an athlete and we we're working on, you know, um, what I call skills and drills and just basic athletic movement patterns and movement prep. And I, you know, told her, I go, look, you're not just this isolated entity of systems and these systems work here in this world you're also you know a very intelligent and psychologically you know uh powerful human being and so we're trying to wed the two right physiology psychology it's it's two it's together you can't be departed yet we want to slice a knife through it and that is what the athletes can tell you because how many times have you had an athlete or multiple athletes go out and just nail workout after workout, run it, you know, tee it up on the nose, spot on. I mean, Steve and I had this talk last year about Leah Wallace when he was coaching. Like he was so excited. Oh man, Leah's just cranking sessions out. She looks great. It's awesome. And then they get to races and it's that they just run flat or they run scared and, or they don't kind of race 
to the capacity that is indicative of their body of work and workouts. And then you throw all the papers up in stopwatches in the air and go, oh, I don't know what's going on. She's a you know, head case. It's like, no, no, no. That's the most valuable opportunity. That's the most important time to learn and figure out how to solve the puzzle that is this athlete. Well, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up that, which is interesting. And I think the head case model is actually a signal to coaches to stop learning, right? Because mm-hmm. as, as soon as you label someone as a head case, then that alleviates your responsibility in figuring out what the issue is. Because you've assigned the answer to be some mysterious thing in their mind that you can't figure out and maybe some crazy sports psychologist expert guru can figure it out. But it, it's not anything that you have control over. And I think doing that, A, it's like a death sentence to any development um, for that athlete, but it's also a death sentence to any development and growth as a coach. Because the reality is that those athletes who give you problems, who don't you know, respond in the normal traditional way or have these roadblocks, those are the ones you're going to grow and learn from the most. Because once you figure out that problem, all of a sudden it's like, oh, all right, like I'm not limited by what the textbook says or what I heard at this one course or convention or whatever have you. Like crazy different things work. I just have to put my mind to it and try and figure it out. And, you know, the the first time I ever learned this was when I way back in the day when I was coaching high school runners and my top kid came down with mono his senior year in February, mm. right? Mm. Ryan Doner, who's, you know, All-American at Texas, ran at U.S. Champs in the 10K. So really good kid. And he was a good kid in high school and came down with mono. And the choice was very simple. It's like, well, do you just like say, oh, forget it. Like you've run pretty well. You've never won a state championship, but... You know, you got mono, so it's a death nail, so go home, rest, and don't do anything. Or do we say, you know what, it's a big problem, and most people say, like, you can't train with it, and we're not going to put, like, your future career in jeopardy, but let's try and figure something out. So we started trying crazy kind of workout ideas of, like, hey, we know running when like getting in a hole when you have mono sets you back so let's just stop everything before we get in a hole and if that's like 100 meter strides it's 100 meter strides but the point was we tried all this crazy training that i never had any idea that i'd ever use um but it worked and after learning that is what i came to realize is that every athlete who presents an out-of-the-box problem your quote-unquote head case athletes, they're an opportunity to learn. And if you take the time and, like, you know, go for it and say, hey, this really is no risk because, you know, such and such coach has written you off or, like, you've been performing horribly. Let's just try something new and try something and, and really put our minds to it and dig deep and try and get out of cause and just theorize and come out about it. You know, you might might fail you might end up wrong but a lot of times you end up figuring out this like piece to the puzzle that you know no one ever has talked about and that's 
you know, the beauty of having an engaged and enrolled athlete like that. Like that's step one, right? Is making sure, you know, the athlete or group or team you're working at is enrolled on the journey. You know, we're talking about athletes here who want to be competitive, want to do well, but for a reason, there's trepidation when it comes to competing, not the person who goes through the motions and who, you know, is just showing up, but then is living a very mischievous and devious lifestyle away from the practice track or, um, you know, the, the park where you're doing your intervals and long runs and such. So that's step one, just understanding when someone's having difficulty expressing their capacity and they're fully enrolled and engaged is getting them to get to that next level. And that's the beauty of it is you have to figure out how to sell the dream. Like one of my favorite Picasso quotes is he, you know, he always says, I'm always doing things I can't do. And that's how I get to do them. I mean, because he's just a creative artist. He's saying, hey, I don't know if this is going to work. It might not work. And that's okay. But we're going to give it a shot and see if if it does, if you're enrolled and you're okay with experimenting like this. And a lot of times we get caught up in the replicability to say, if I do X, Y, Z amount of prescriptive activities in this sequence, then I know I'm going to get this end result. I'm going to move my PR or my ability to run this mark from here to there. And sometimes, you know, especially when you get a higher level athlete or an athlete who's really excited and engaged, it falls short. Um, the result from the impetus that is there because you're missing key components and key ingredients, which is that enrollment in that activity to try things and see if they work. Because, you know, it's like life, right? There's a lot more downs than ups, but that's what makes the up so sweet is because you had to deal with the downs. And every time you have a, a tricky situation, a tricky puzzle to solve, you know, you may not know the absolute perfect solution, but just say, hey, I'm here to solve this puzzle with you. And the best thing that is going to come out of this is we're both going to be better puzzle solvers. And the hard part is there's not a whole lot of upfront security and stability in that. And that just scares people shitless because <laughs> we want it. We want that stability. We want that. If I run 50 miles a week, I do a long run. I do two workouts, one at VO2 max, you know, one at a lactic capacity and some strides. I know for certain I will get better. Yes, you will, because the discipline is there to follow that schedule and follow that calendar. I think a lot of times, and I'm the victim of it too, I get caught up in playing the system checkbox game versus, okay, we have to hit these energy systems so many times within a week or a you know, mesocycle. And if we don't, all of a sudden we're ill-preparing the athlete. But again, it's how do we know we're isolating that energy system and how do we know when too much is too much and too little is too little. I've gravitated now towards with athletes I work with, giving a workout prescription, saying, okay, here's here's the session, explaining the point of the session and saying, here are the paces that I have just come up with. And I, these are the ballpark. I think that is going to be of value, but it's just a ballpark. I am complete. I'm you know taking a very educated hypothesis here, but I could be wrong. You could be expressing a lot, you know, more energy and you can run these a little bit quicker or you might be a little off a little deflated today and you might run a little bit slower as long as the perception of effort is there and you have a consistency of reputability of replicability over and over for the number of reps that we've agreed upon we'll give it a shot and that's why you always 
as a coach, you reserve always the right to change, alter, or cut a session based on the conversation and dialogue that you're having with an athlete. And that, to me, is the most fun part in this forum, being able to work one-on-one with athletes, um, is to have that dialogue. Now, maybe you have a team of 30, 50 athletes, 150 athletes, and maybe they're high school kids and they're JV, freshmen, and they don't have that cognitive ability to have that rapport, and you just got to tell the monkey to show up and do the work. And that's okay, too. You know, but at some point you want to coach them to be able to have that dialogue because then that's where they, they start to teach you things. I mean, today we're at the track with um, one of the 1500 mirror gals I work with, Eleanor Fulton. First day back after 10 days off, after a brilliant indoor and outdoor season, you know, emotional battery is now full and she's ready to get ready, you know, prepare for the second half of the summer racing calendar. And we just, Day one, day one, we sprint. Day one, we start doing athletic work that prefaces sprinting. But, you know, it's very manageable, 30-meter excels. And I wasn't giving her cues about how to do X or this. And, you know, you need the angle of the shin here or you need to not block with, you know, your upper body and your, you know, shoulders there, whatever, whatever. No, I just, we simply was like, tell me after every rep, I just film it. I'd watch it, make my mental note. I go, Tell me one thing you noticed you liked about how you felt when you moved, how you felt when you were sprinting, and one thing you noticed you didn't like during the course of that rep. And that was all the dialogue was today for six reps of 30-meter flies. We just went back and forth, and it got her noticing and focusing on the one thing. And the cue for the theme for today was power. That was the theme we came in with. And as my coaching has evolved, I've more and more gravitated toward the famous Greek quote, you know, of the fox and the hedgehog, where the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. And that's all we have the capacity to do, in my opinion, is focus on one big thing time and time again. It's when we get too cute and we try to put too many ingredients or talk way too much in a session with an athlete that they lose track of the point. So now I've started to evolve and put themes on the day. Here's the theme for today. If it's a recovery day, it's restoration. If it's a, you know, a lactic session or a race pace session, then it might be some kind of a cue we have coming up for race. And this has all been because I listened to the athletes and I listened to what their feedback was throughout the course of this season because having themes on the day, you know, help them figure out the one thing to think about versus having a prescription of here's the warm-up here's the drills here's the activation here's the you know symphony of the workout session here's the cool down then we go in the weight room blah 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 blah. and you work for four or five hours great but they left physically you know spent and maybe had a good workout because they hit the targets that i told them to hit but then that really helped them feel like they reinforce some type of learning on the day And the answer was no, because we had so much inconsistency. But now, you know, as you, if you look back at results from, say, two people who really have latched onto this this season that I've been working with, Eleanor Fulton and Daniel Herrera, man, they've been consistent as all heck. Like, Eleanor's been running like 412, 412, 412. It became funny because he was just like nailing it the whole time. And Dan's been running about 340, give or take a half second for 15, much of this season already. 
And they're frustrated because they feel like they're at a plateau, but they've ran those marks in different scenarios, right? But because we've talked about themes, they've been able to run off a slow pace, run off a very hot pace, run off an up and down pace, and still be competitive. And the end result ends up being that time, but they're at least highly consistent instead of this huge fluctuation of variance because they're able to come back to the theme that counts. And they're like, oh, coach, I'm able to focus on this one thing. And it's really freeing. And to me, that's a big learning I've taken by listening to my kids and listening to my athletes versus saying, well, I talked to Steve and I talked to this mentor and they said we need to do this and that's what we're going to do and that's how it's going to be. Yeah, you know, when you talk about that stuff, it really gets me thinking about like intent and on like going through the motions and having intent on what you're doing. And like what I've talked about a lot of times this year with my college team has pulled people aside and said not not only worry about don't just worry about hitting the times and making your intent to run 60 seconds for this 400 meter repeat instead like cue in on what you're thinking about and realize like where you're directing your attention and what the focus is on and developing some of those mental psychological like cues or coping skills that we're going to utilize in in a race and developing a wide range of those during practice so that when it comes race time like all you have to worry about is like a cue here or a cue there and it's just like ingraining that so very similar to along the lines of like themes for the day sometimes we'll be all right you know this time I want you to feel like you're flowing along or like in a rhythm or this time, this time I really want you to focus on, you know, maintaining, I don't know, keeping your shoulders down or making sure you don't get tight or just giving one simple cue to work on at a time instead of like overwhelming people. And and when I think about how I've evolved and changing mechanics and stuff like that and giving biomechanical cues is that's probably the one big change is that we don't talk about shin angles or, you know, um, you know, exact foot placement or things like that. It's more of go run a hundred. <laughs> Tell me what you felt be like, okay you know, that, that might be what you needed to feel or it might not be. And then we extrapolate and, and change one thing. And it's like, all right, this time for this one, more power, like focus on powerful, good hip extension, whatever you want to call it, whatever your cue is. And just saying like, this is, this is it. Like, don't try and be perfect on everything. Let's take it one piece, one chunk at a time. And um, not deviate or not worry about too many things. And, you know, I teach a summer course with a bunch of, I don't know, strength and conditioning coaches in the UK. It's a bunch of graduate school kids. And they're great. But what's always interesting to me is I always teach a lecture on running mechanics. And because I have to squeeze so much information practically into a two-hour session. I remember when I, the first time I did it, I tried to squeeze in all this information and then I had them do some running and some drills and stuff like that. And from beginning to end the first group, like they changed a little bit, but it, it really wasn't very worthy. 
right? Mm-hmm. I yep. could tell, mm-hmm. I could tell that they were going to take, they were going to go home and say like, well, I got told these six, seven, eight, nine things are important for running mechanics, but I have no idea what it means or how to translate this over, right? So in, in trying to get better and refining my own coaching, I, I came back with the next group and then the next year and refined more. And I just said, all right, like what? Obviously, these guys aren't going to grasp a whole mechanics lesson in two hours and do drills and running and all that stuff in it. So what sensations am I trying to get across? And I just broke it down into like how it should feel, right? Right. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. we broke it down as like, all right, this is running. Okay. I want you to feel powerful up application of force. And then all we did was focus on like simple drills of really pushing down into the ground. All right, everyone know what power feels like? Yeah, we know what power feels like now. All right, now we're going to go to the second thing. And it was just like, I stole this one um, from the Oregon strength and conditioning coach, Jimmy Radcliffe. He said, all right, when we hit the ground, we want to be like a bouncy ball and not a tomato. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. You know, what does that mean? All right, like, let's just do some like easy uh, jump roping and feel like we're a bouncy ball. Good reactive off the ground, bouncy ball. Right. All right, you got that? All right, next one. We just want to be smooth up top where everything's going forward. So no big rotation, no getting tight, just smooth and relaxed up top, whatever that means. And, like, you give them these three big overarching cues, and the reception was, I might not know exactly how, like, what perfect looks like, but I know what the sensation is I'm after. Right. And once you know that sensation... You have that dialogue with that kid when you go back and coach and you say, hey, how that, how did that feel? Like, oh, was I, I flat? Was I on the ground for a long time? Et cetera. Nope, that's not what we're looking for. Like, bouncy ball, let's go. And I think sometimes we just overcomplicate the hell out of it um, and get nowhere instead of getting, you know, the basic sensations of it and get 90% of the way. Well, and that's the job of the coach is to curate, is to be able to curate all the bellworth of information that's out there and take all this minutia and nuances that go into doing something very well and simplify it just like that. I mean, Jimmy Radcliffe, brilliant with that, because when you said, I want you to be like a bouncy ball and not tomato, instantly I understood, instantly. There was no question of like, oh, well, you know, your posture needs to be this, the big toe needs to, no, 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 no. I mean, and so now you you have this clear, clear, clear image in your head about what you're trying to do with that activity. And sometimes that's exactly where the athlete can teach you as a coach is if they're not getting it and you're like teaching the crap out of it, you're coaching it up and you're going, hey, we're trying to do this. And the, the kids just aren't responding and they don't get it instantaneously. You don't get frustrated because they're not understanding you. You just take that as feedback of, my cues aren't clear enough because it should be bouncy ball and tomato. That's very clear. I mean, a five-year-old can pick that up because they know the difference. And that's, but that is hard. You don't, 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. Like being able to communicate that clearly and concisely with that type of metaphor, very difficult. Another thing too is like, I, I've started to, you know, you, when you athletes, we, that we talk about who have great sessions or are fit and capable and who are engaged and enrolled and are doing good work. But when it starts not to transfer in a race and you start to have that dialogue and it's continuing dialogue, it's also too 
being able to pick up on their verbiage. And I've started, and I've been fortunate enough to have this with my milers and middle distance people on the track this year. And we started to notice that they're perceiving things as hard or as a challenge. And it's a challenge or a hardness that they want to overcome. But that subtle language of hard and challenging and difficult is a negative cascade. So when they get to a, a lap to go in the race or in the mile or uh, 200 to go in the 800, it gets hard. And because it's so hard, we spend all this energy being like, it's hard. Uh, and they end up being impotent. But when we've had breakthroughs and moments when people have shifted the thinking to more, I'm excited. This is going to be play. This is going to be awesome. Like, absolutely, I'm ready to go. Not afraid, not cowering, not it, – it, it's changed the outcome and changed their competitive capacity in the last 60, 30 seconds of a race. It's been amazing to see because yeah. that subtle shift means everything. And, and I think that's that's a brilliant point on words matter. Like, what you say matters because what you say is, is um, portraying a concept, Right. Like words mm -hmm. don't mean anything except for the like the meanings we assign them. And we all have these like group meanings of concepts of what hard means and what, you know, stressed means. And some words are negative and some words are positive. And like when you first get into coaching, it's really tempting to say like, oh, that sounds really soft. Like that's really soft right. science. I don't know about that stuff. But if you look at all the research, it's almost like, you know, your example there with hard versus difficult is the same as the research on stress, where if you see it as a negative, say, oh, I'm stressed, I'm anxious, this is negative, versus, oh, I'm, I'm excited, like these feelings of anxiety are because I'm excited and this adrenaline. Like one is a negative, one's a positive, and the outcomes after using both are completely different. And the hormonal outcomes are completely different too as well with the stress mm -hmm. hormones and stuff. And I think, you know, a lot of times as coaches, we forget that. And we get we let description get in the way of communication, right? My job my job as a coach is not to describe necessarily. It's not to be technically correct, to go around and say, all right, um, on this run, I need your uh, arm angle to be 90 degrees and your foot needs to be in dorsiflexion. And right, we can't have any internal rotation going on. Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't, feeling like, I can't feel an emotion wedded to internal rotation what does that mean <laughs> from an emotional like cognitively intelligently yes because i've been schooled and educated i can i but, I, I can grasp it but emotionally i can't still <laughs> well think about it like whenever someone says like oh the uh you know the tibia is getting internal rotation or whatever it has it like what happens with you you stop you think about it you visualize it at least this is what happens to me and then understand what he's saying Right. Right. Because, you know, I don't I know this language like I've taken biomechanics and several years and done my own studying, but it still isn't this intuitive conception. Right? Yeah. No, my, my favorite is this is a quick tangent. 
you know, they go to a very capable, very young and enthusiastic, you know, either PT or sports scientist or sports performance person or massage therapist, some type of, you know, well-intending therapist. And they break the athlete down and they're like, well, you pronate here, you know, this is off. Like, and they just go through this cascade and they give an athlete, uh, you know, uh, synopsis and everything's just off course. And the athlete comes to me like, I went and saw them and like, all this stuff is wrong. I go, um, remember like last year when you made it to national championships and got like, you know, in the top five? Yeah. Was all that stuff wrong then? Well, I guess. Go, yeah, it's okay. Like, I mean, we can get better. We definitely can get better. So it's not a liability. Like there's a high value in that. But to go and say there's all these things now I need to fix because it's limiting me or whatever. It's like, well. Yes, but let's break it down in the correct frame of reference well, so that it can be a value rather than overwhelming. Right. I mean, did you see – I'm sure you did that that tweet I tweeted out about the 10K foot strikes by the mm-hmm. BYU biomechanist. And it was beautiful because what it yeah. was is the foot strike of every single runner in the 10K at, at U.S. Nationals. And, you know, you saw a wide variety of things happening, but on some of them – they looked like just the visual of the foot strike looked downright painful, mm-hmm. right? And you know your initial reaction is to be like, "Oh gosh, like yeah. Ooh. change that." And, <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe you know maybe over time it would help them, but at at the same point, you have to consider the flip side and say, "All right, this so and so guy just got six that at nationals in the ten k and." you know, made it there and maybe ran a PR to get there, whatever he had to do. Like, he's pretty damn good, you know, or she's pretty damn good. Right. Like, no one's perfect, obviously, but what's the consideration on that? And I think that on this tangent is is sometimes we, we forget that, and it's easy to point out all the things that are going wrong or all the things that might not be quote-unquote normal. But the question as a coach you have to always ask is, does that really matter? And what's the risk versus the reward? Exactly. And it goes back to language versus if you frame a workout or a racing opportunity correctly, you can extract a lot more than you know is capable and even the athletes know is capable. Because if you say, okay, guys, hard session today, we got – 10 times 400 at 60 with 200 jog. It's going to be really tough and challenging, but you can do it. Or do you say, we got an excellent opportunity to get better. You're going to walk away from this session having completed it, no matter what marks you hit, as long as you give everything you have, significantly better than you're starting off now. And so all of a sudden you've changed from, oh, it's going to be hard, it's going to be challenging, stressed out, to like, man, this is excellent, this is awesome. Okay, coach just said, we got to give it all we got. You know, we're going to get better no matter what. This is going to be great, man. All right, let's have some fun. And when you, that subtle shift, it's the same session, same session, you know, on paper. But how you framed it is everything. I mean, I I told an athlete the other day, she was doing a session and I, you know, you could tell she, after the first rep, it was like, it was like, oh, this is hard. And, you know, I was like, you could see her taking a lap recovery every jog and the weight on her shoulder of being ready to do the next rep was so you know apparent that i was like what are you thinking about and she goes well the next rep's gonna be hard I go hey 
enjoy this recovery lap. Like this is ice cream. Eat your ice cream. Have fun. Like don't worry about how many sugar, how much sugar or calories your ice cream has. Just enjoy every bite without any worry for what the scale is going to be like tomorrow. So be right here, right now, present on the recovery lap, and enjoy how easy and relaxing and rejuvenating it is. Then when you get over there to the start for the next rep, we'll talk about the next rep. But don't put the weight and make the recovery rep, the rejuvenation, you know, component of your session, not. Uh, accomplish its aim and then we she you know got over a couple minutes later i go well what do you think it's gonna be hard i don't know if i can do it i was like i don't know if you can do it either but we're gonna see like just go and we'll see if you can do it and if you can't you can't if you can do it better you can do it just focus on the feeling and the rhythm that this rep is designed to ignite and if you do that and not a slave to your watch and use your watch as a recording tool rather than as a directing tool and we'll, you know, you might, you might do better than you think, or you might, you know, burn down in flames. I don't know, but we're not going to judge it. <laughs> we're not going to judge it. And because I was able to frame that session with her in that capacity, man, she nailed it. Like home run out of the park, ran paces faster than I had prescribed and felt good and peppy and powerful. And this was someone who was coming in being like, oh, coach, I'm a little sluggish today. I'm a little sore from those you know, rejuvenation drills we did the other day, you know, they hit some like interesting spots and I go, that's fine. Well, we'll just, you know, we'll take it rep by rep, (laughs) you know? Yeah, no, so much of it is how you frame it and how you define Mm -hmm. success uh, or failure. And also like, that was a great example there of um, how, how you can create a dynamic where it's not pass or fail it's not fear of failure in the sense of oh yeah it's no longer a grade like you're not getting a grade for the workout exactly i think that happens way too much is that we get in this environment of like oh well i'm getting graded i didn't i didn't hit the times on the paper or i didn't do up to my expectations and all of a sudden you take or i didn't follow the race plan to a t and that's why i didn't run well yeah and but it's you know, all that kind of, yeah, conjoling and well-intended planning, if it's, you know, superficial, it creates rigidity. And that rigidity is the death sentence. But if it's good planning that has flexibility inherently built into the plan, the ability to go out and create, the ability to see what the circumstances are, and then respond in aptly and intelligently in the moment, that's a great plan. And but that that shift, like the difference between those two plans with rigidity versus structure is very, you know, it takes a lot of thoughtful consideration to employ. You just you just can't copy and paste it from last year. Yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think the my favorite example on the framing aspect is this is how many times have you had athletes go into like their Tuesday or Wednesday session before their big race? Right. Mm. Oh, yeah. And they know they're like, oh, this is an easy session. Like, even if you haven't said it, you you know, they're convinced like, oh, this is an easy session. I'm just going to feel good. I'm not going to have to work that hard. I'm just and then they go into it and they start running and like, oh, my gosh, this is way harder than it should have been. Yeah, something's wrong. I'm not going to do well. I'm not going to do well now on race day because something's wrong. And (laughs) it spirals, right? If you let (laughs) it, it. And the funny part is, and that's the perfect demonstration of how framing it pre-race or pre-workout impacts how it actually feels. 
right? The reason that it felt harder than it should have is because you went in with the expectation that this is going to be super easy. So mm-hmm. you feel trashed and horrible because your initial expectation is, oh, this is easy. And when it, if it's just slightly harder, well, that is now become, it's magnified, right? It's still, in the grand scheme of things, could be a 5 out of 10, but because you expected it to be a 2 out of 10, now you see it as like, oh my gosh, this is incredibly hard, and it can downward spiral really quickly. And I think that's why it's important not only to frame workouts, but also to frame races, right? Mm-hmm. I think people make this make have this problem when they run like rounds and prelims too, right? When they say, mm-hmm. oh, like, I'm second or third fastest seated in this, so, you know, I'm going to be okay. And meanwhile, you have the guy who's seated ninth out of ten or whatever, and he's like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be really hard, um, but I've just got to go, and this is this is my chance. And he ends right. up making the final, and you're like, why in the world did that guy make the final? Right. His yeah. expectations were, like, this was going to be a hard race. So when it was a hard race, he was ready to go. The guy who thought, oh, I'm a shoe-in, like, I've got right. a PR four seconds faster in the 1500, he's thinking, oh, like, this is easy. And when it becomes hard, you know, it's not not there to go. It just Yeah, it just checks out. Hard. I mean, I call it the Christian Smith rule, right? 2008 Olympic trials yeah. in Eugene, he's the last person to get into the Olympic trials in the 800. He ends up making the team. And he was just like, he accepted the fact that this was not an easy cherry pick, you know, opportunity. He accepted the fact that it's like, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to get after it and I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to take that onus to, to see this through. So it, again, the framing aspect is critical and it's also critical for the coach because as a coach, you say, Hey, this workout, this season, this session is only successful if you follow everything to a T is only successful if you do things as I say. And, and, your PR drops 10 seconds or whatever, then you've also limited your learning and growth opportunity as a coach and, uh, you know, in some ways too, as an athlete. Every year I do, you know, just a personal debrief on the season and what I learned from each athlete. And I've been doing it a long time and coaching for 12 years, however long. It's like I'm learning something very new every single year. And sometimes it's also just learning when to stop giving a shit. Because an athlete's not into it. And it's like, you're not into this, man. Like, I can't make you be into it. And if I'm going to spend all this energy having heart-to-hearts with you, you know, after every bad workout or race or every time you give up and it makes no impact, you're just telling me, hey, I'm not into it. And that, to me, is a heartbreaking reality. But it's a reality you have to face and you have to just cut your losses and walk away sometimes too. Or if someone's super into it and say, oh, coach, I'm so excited. I want to get better next season. I want. How do we do it? Do we just you know, do more of the same or, you know, increase the intensity or volume or run more mileage. It's like, I go, I don't know yet. Like, let's see how you come back after break. Let's break down film. Let's look at things that matter. And then we can create a plan together or at least with your input where it's like, do you think this will help you get better if we focus on these things? Because a lot of times, right, it's the placebo effect. That athlete has to be engaged and enrolled on the process and thinking their input and what they say matters as it should. And then it has more weight to their actions versus being, you know, again, going back to the one-way street, I am the all-knowing god of physiology, racing, tactics, workout prescriptions. You're the monkey. You must do as I say. 
or else you will not get better. That can work, but not, not in the short term, it, it can work. But long term, you're saying that person up for to be crippled when it counts. And that's the whole goal to me is coaching is pointing the path and saying, look, here's the path. I'm just the Sherpa. If you go that way, it will pay off. It's hard, windy, difficult. It's a single track. Not many people are taking that path. It's okay. You know, it's, but if you, this is where you want to go is there to this level of competency or competitiveness. This is the path that I know best. And there may be a different path and we get there and there's a, a bridge out or something. We have to find a detour. Hey, I'm here by your side and enrolled in that journey because you know what? I'm going to find different ways and a better way and more effective ways to grow and communicate and be more concise and transparent and um, potent with what I'm trying to help you achieve because you're going to force me to do that. And you not doing it, not being able to do it, not being able to express it when it counts at a championship or a race is going to make me stop and go, huh, we did all this work for six months or a year, all these sessions in the gym and on the track and long runs and we got to when it counts and they just wilted. What happened? <laughs> you know, it's not a product of not being physically ready and working hard. It's a product of something else. Or maybe it is the inverse. Like, man, we just got there and whoa, our doors got blown off. That person just got lit up out the back from the beginning. We, they were so ill-equipped physically for this. Now I know. And that, as a coach, to me is the exciting reason why you keep playing the game. It's because year in and year out, it's always different puzzles to solve and different growth opportunities for you and also your athletes. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I think that that's why it comes back to like those words you said. They're powerful. It's, it's, it's a mutual journey towards something. And I think the most powerful words you can say as a coach after failing sometimes is like, well, I don't know what happened, but let's try and figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. Let's yep. Let's figure out this thing and, you know, maybe this is it, maybe not, but let's figure out that journey. And I've had several instances of athletes, um, some pretty young, or I've sat there and said, you know, I don't have the answer why you just ran horrible, but let's figure out what it is. And like, if you've got thoughts, let's hear them and let's have that discussion and I think a lot of times coaches are very afraid to have that degree of almost vulnerability because they're afraid that it shows weakness in the sense that, oh, if I say this, then they'll learn that I don't have all the answers, right? Mm -hmm. And then they lose that mystique of here's this coach who has all the right answers and is going to figure everything out for me. Uh, but that's not reality. And I think once you get out of that, you know, fake reality there and have that acceptance, then it becomes this journey where both you and the athlete are in it together for the same thing and mm -hmm. improving. And then, right. and then your ego's gone and it becomes much less about, how you made this athlete and much more about like, how can we both get this person to perform up to their um, potential up to their capabilities? Right. And as the coach, you know, your, your job is to, again, going back to selling the dream, you know, I posted something on Twitter and 
a little couple days ago that says, you know, you're supposed to, as a coach, that ideally you're chasing their athlete's dream with them. And whatever their dream is, you say, okay, great, you're here. And then what you do is you just set them up. And, you know, Steve and I have talked about this before called winning the workout or winning, you know, whatever kind of goal or intermediate steps you have. And it's just the same thing they do with archery, right? They set the targets close so they get used to hitting the bullseye. And then you set the target a little further back, you know, increases the degree of difficulty. But you, you set it there and then they keep shooting until they're competent to hit those bullseyes. And then you keep moving the target further and further and further down and making it a little bit more complex, a little bit more difficult. But as long as they're used to hitting the bullseye, they're going to stick with it because they knew they're hitting the bullseye when the target was closer. A lot of times we just say, this is really hard. Here's what it is. And we throw it all the way out there. And it's okay. You got to hit this bullseye the first time out. And if you fail, you know, the and you don't do it correctly, it's your problem. Because I've coached XYZ number of champions and XYZ number of record holders, and I know what I'm doing. It's not my issue. It's your issue. No, no, no. If you're enrolled on the journey together as athlete coach, it's mutual cohabitation and ownership of that dream. But as a coach, you got to see, okay, how do we get them to hit bullseyes and how long might it take for them to realize that dream? If not the trajectory is perfect, but also built in with the natural ups and downs of life. And that's, you know, the fun part of the guessing game of, of it is, you know, Steve, myself, Danny Mackey with the Brooks Beast, we're always toxing and texting each other and giving each other's feedback because we've all been doing it for a little while and we're all friends and we all value each other's opinions, but we don't know how to do it, you know, for every different roadblock or barrier or expression or lack of engagement that an athlete presents us with. So we're like, Ah, uh, kind of stuck on this one, guys. <laughs> what might you do? <laughs> and that's the beauty of, again, learning through your network and learning through what the athletes tell you, even when it's and most often when it's a negative. Like that's the best growth opportunity is when you fail or when a race does not go as desired or you're not competitive. We call running it horribly or, you know, finishing, you know, out the back or whatever. But now that is the most ripe time to learn because everything, you know, a lot of things that went into it didn't work. So now how do we solve the puzzle so it can work or be put that person in position to work down the road? And that I think is what keeps me curious and hungry and coming back to this profession year in and year out is it's its own little education of life, but unfortunately there's no certificate for it. I'm not going to be a PhD of coaching, <laughs> you know, but it's, you just keep playing the game because once you, when you start to get really good, and I've watched very competent, long-term, successful coaches, either coach or you know have seen you know videos of them coaching or talking about it, the cues and um, emphasis and themes that they talk about are very simple and straightforward, just like Jimmy Radcliffe's bouncy ball, not tomato, and you get it and it crystallizes. You're like, oh. I would love that degree of mastery instead of babbling and babbling and babbling all the time. <laughs> but that, but yeah. that's what you see in really good coaches who have been around for a while, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, you know, the reason they're really good is because they've had all these experiences where some, sometimes they've failed. Sometimes they've encountered someone who didn't work out or didn't, you know, meet their expectations or whatever have you, or they failed them. But they've learned it over time. I was correct. 
and had all this experience so that they could figure out like how to deliver that message in such a simple and clear way. Like the only way that comes is from doing it over and over until you, you come and get that message, right? Um, what doesn't happen is that we don't, it, it's not that we read a thousand books or go to a thousand courses or get enough certifications to hang on our wall. Like those aren't, those aren't the problems that helps you with the average person, right? But it doesn't help you with the individual who comes to you with the difficult problems. And I think one of the lessons or one of the messages we're trying to get across in this is that every athlete who fails or who, or that you fail is a huge opportunity to learn. And every, every race that goes poorly is another opportunity to figure out a different way to attack things, right? And it, it's not that you're pulling, you know, different workouts out of a hat and just randomly guessing. It's about taking a deep dive and, and getting to a point where you can have that conversation with the athlete where it's like, okay, how do we mutually figure out how to move forward? You know, one of my favorite experiences as a college coach is actually this summer one of my kids who finally broke 15 minutes for the first time right he'd been trying to do it for basically two years and had run you know 15 i think 10 to 15 19 probably like seven or eight times and he was always in shape to do it but he just couldn't grasp it right and eventually it came through he runs up 15 all that stuff he gets super excited and he comes to me as a as a senior and says, "Hey, can I have a stab at developing my summer training program?" Because you know, as a college coach, you have to write your summer training programs because you can't have contact with them as much in person and blah 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 rules. So, you know, I said, "Sure, like take take your stab at it." And he writes his summer training program, sends it to me. And yeah, I changed like a couple workouts and a couple runs here and there. But overall, it was really good. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and as a coach, like it's, it doesn't, it's not like, Oh, why does this athlete think that he can write a training plan when only I have the answers? I'm like, all right. Yes. The hubris. I wrote the science of running. What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right. Like here, awesome. here's living proof. That this kid over, you know, the previous three years has paid attention, learned and understands what is good training for him, you know? Yes. And yes. he's like got that lesson of like, okay, like this is what makes sense. This is what I've done in the past. This might be where I want to try and push things a little bit. And it's just, it's great to see, you know, it was like. Right, and that probably that I imagine is far more rewarding of him going out and winning a, a conference title. Oh, of course, exactly, yeah. because you've taught a kid a life lesson. Exactly, Tom out of fish, brilliant. Right, it's like he doesn't, you know, it's like so many of these is like you want to train athletes to where they don't need you or don't need to rely on you and right you're coaching ultimately towards autonomy exactly and it's it, you know i was talking to a really good um coach at usc's and we were talking about natasha rogers and he's like you know kudos to you i'm not a good enough coach to do the long distance thing and i'm like well neither am i but i just have 
trust in her after we've worked together in a year and a half that she's going to figure things out and know her body after we've like had all these discussions on, you know, well, that kind of sucked. Like maybe we shouldn't do that (laughs) or maybe, maybe you push too hard there or oops, like you're a little bit overcooked. Like maybe we shouldn't do that. Yeah. No, the best is when you just, you get to that level, right? Where they can go off and do it and then just report back or, you just show up to the track, and this is, you know, usually with adults who have a degree of mastery and been doing it for a decade or more with deliberate, intentional practice, right? Where you just watch the workout, and you're like, "That was good. How I feel? Good. Okay. All right, you ready to go? <laughs> like, and, and that's it. There's not a whole lot of, hey, we got to change, we got to adjust, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to poke, we got to prod. You're just like, yeah, that that was awesome. Thank thank you for letting me watch this. And you're out, you know, I mean, that ultimately to me, that's where I want to get is where we get to that level with every athlete where all I have to do is, you know, point them in the right direction, just do a spot check and they don't need me anything to reaffirm what they're already feeling. Like, how'd you feel? Felt great. Well, you look great. All right, we're done. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, (laughs) I think a lot of times with really good athletes, there's this need, this feel, this need to say or do something. You know, um, I remember in my my coaching experience with uh, he who shall not be named. I remember getting getting yelled at one time for not saying stuff, not like coming across stuff, you know, and like continually giving feedback every single repetition, whether that's calling out every 200 meter split or 100 meter split or telling them something biomechanically. And I remember sitting there and being like, dude the guy looks good and smooth and is running fast. Like what does it matter what I say? Right. You, yeah. You, yeah. You know. I, and just, it's, it, it's catering to that insecurity yep. that we as coaches can have. And sometimes, you know, there's this tendency to want to control all the variables so that, you know, you can predict the outcome, you know, and how many times have you had a coach be like, Oh, they're ready to roll. They're ready to roll. And they don't roll. <laughs> and you're like, what happened? Well, you know, him and Han, it's like, when people ask me, hey, are, my, are you people ready to go? I go, well, he done the work, so let's hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like so many people ask like, oh, is such and so got ready to go? And a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. And it's not right. because I don't have faith in them. It's because I know the unpredictable ability of racing. And, hum- and, human and humans. Beings. Human beings are yeah. unpredictable creatures. We, exactly. we try to create some predictability. It makes sense. It's fun. But the reality is – you know, it's hubristic to think, you know, I mean, I don't even know about myself sometimes. <laughs> no, no. Very true. I don't, I don't know about you either. Um, <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> no, it's just, it's an interesting thing to think of. And, you know, I think tying, tying everything back to each other is that in this, it's power dynamics matter, right? And, it's tempting as the coach to want to be at the center and have all these other spokes out outside going outside where it's other people are looking up to you. Right. But that dynamic only works with, with a very young crowd um, who needs that difference in power dynamics initially. But right. It's not judge and defendant where you're sitting here and giving a sentence and saying, you must do as I say. And eventually, you want to get to that excellent point you made with your um, your male uh, 
5K runner of being like, how would you do it? And then seeing and then being like, well, a lot of this is very good. Here's a few holes. Let's try again. Great job. You know, and that, and that to me, because that's you and I always come back to this, coaching is teaching. And that's what you want to get is you want to teach them to be autonomous. Yeah, that's, uh, that's my future goal is to uh, just have other people write training plans and then just maybe like, oh, this one, two, these two things, change that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's how you also, uh, you know, going back to the two-way street, though, of of it, if you're if you take a judge and defendant mentality, it's going to be that one-way information highway. But if it's a, a push and a pull, a two-way, I am giving you information, and they're expressing information in their feedback and or failure, and then you're learning how to cope with that and how to then coach them or better them from that expression of disappointment or failure. That's where the dialogue happens. And then you can start to talk about these higher level things. And it takes a high degree of security on the coach's part. And it also takes a high degree of vulnerability on the coach's part to being open to being wrong. And then being able to call it out and say, hey, guys, I was wrong. Or I don't know. And that, to me, is the most secure, vulnerable way to approach this dynamic of creating a two-way street with your more mature and enrolled and engaged athlete that will yield, in at least of my experience, 100% of the time, you know, bigger, juicier, riper fruit than just saying do it my way or else. Yep, exactly. So we'll we'll leave it at that then. I think that's a good lesson to have is that as a coach, it's easy to fall into the one-way street of coaching, but like be receptive and realize yeah. that those head cases, those problem childs, those problem athletes, like they're they're not a bad thing. They're an opportunity to grow and learn and expand your your experience wealth so that sometime hopefully you can come up with something as brilliant as bouncy ball and not a tomato. Oh, excellent. <laughs> and one step into coming up to that brilliance is by purchasing peak performance from our sponsor <laughs> of this <laughs> podcast. That's, so make sure you get out and get your copy. That's while, right. While they're on the shelves cuz they they've been selling out, I hear. It's it's all all those pearls of wisdom are in there. That's it. All all from Brad, not myself. Yeah, just, shout out to our sponsor, Peak Performance. <laughs> Get that book ASAP. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks thanks again for everyone listening and giving feedback. Appreciate it, and we will uh, keep knocking these things out. Yeah, we're here to give the people what they want. So thank you for listening.